0: So great to see you guys. You know, one of the things I get to do, I know there's so many new faces that I I really want to try and get a chance to say hello to uh, at some point today. Uh, For those of you guys who are kind of new to uh, Christ Community Church, uh, I've had the privilege of knowing most of the folks in your church for decades now. I'm a pastor on the south shore of Lakeview Christian Center, and many of these guys were just dear friends when I wasn't in diapers, but We were flirting with that, some of them. It was pretty young and a long time ago. Uh, And I also have the privilege of serving the family of churches that we're part of, Sovereign Grace Churches, as what they call a regional leader. So I get to connect with a variety of churches and visit different churches, just trying to support and encourage what's going on in those different places, which makes visiting you guys uniquely difficult. Uh, This is probably the hardest Place that I visit uh, the, of the dozen churches that are in our, our region in the southeastern United States, because in this room are, are folks I've known 35 plus years. And so when you see them, it's like, oh, I've got so much catching up to do. I'm looking at some faces and I'm thinking, I have not heard what's going on with you guys in too long in a few places. Uh, but then there's new folks that I, I want to get a chance to, to get around as well. So we're going to stay for about two or three hours after service today. <laughs> and just hang out together. So I hope you brought a lunch or something. Uh, But really, we would love to meet some new folks who I haven't had a chance to to interact with. That would be a blessing to me just to hear a little bit about your story as well. Um, I'm going to preach this morning from uh, just some areas that I've had a burden for that I think churches need in general. But I also am timing this with something that's, uh, that's being released within Sovereign Grace Churches, the family of churches we're a part of. Uh, you know, there, are, there are some emphasis in our, in our churches that we just feel like stick out. So they're, they're called our, our seven shared values. So if you want to learn more about us as local churches, uh, you know, Bible's an extremely important book with a lot of things in it. Not everything gets emphasized at the same level. So there are certain values in Scripture that stick out more than others. So there's values that we hold as a group of churches. But recently, uh, there's some authors, some of our leadership team members who have released what's called the seven shaping virtues. And so I want to encourage you. I think I may put a link in your outline there that you can go find the notes That are there. And and the virtues for me, they are are what I would call the aroma of God at work in the Christian life. Right? There's one thing to be a Christian, to come into agreement with the doctrines and truths that God puts in scriptures. But when the Holy Spirit takes up his life within us, it's like he begins to rub on us, and the aroma of Christ gets rubbed into who we are, and we begin to smell. Differently. There is an aroma about our lives. And and why I think this is so important for local churches is because if that's true of us individually, when we come together, there's an aroma in this room as well. There's a certain smell to just being around Christians. What what does it smell like? Now, I know most of you guys would, would not recognize this about yourself. You only recognize this about others, right? House odors. Right, You do know you have one, right? I mean, you stopped smelling it years ago, but your house has an odor when you walk into it. I mean, I had a great friend who lived around the corner. We spent a lot of time together, but every time I walked in his house, it just smelled like cooked broccoli. I don't know what it was, right? That's the worst house odor you can have. You know, maybe you're a broccoli fan, but the smell of that's like, no thanks. Uh, we all have a house odor. And, and Christ Community Church has a house odor. And it's supposed to. It's supposed to be the aroma of Christ, the Holy Spirit making the life of God real among us. You know, what's interesting about, you know, having sovereign grace write up some of these values. Uh, we, were, we were a church on the South Shore, not really connected with anybody at one point. And, and in back, back in the 1990s, about 1997, uh, Pastor Peter and I took a trip to visit uh, a family of churches Uh, Back then, not quite called Sovereign Grace yet. And we attended a conference. That was about three days of being together with pastors and in sessions and fellowshipping with folks from Sovereign Grace. And I remember I called my wife, Gina, at the end of being there. The conference was deeply effective in my own soul. The teaching was outstanding. The sound doctrine was refreshing. But I told her, I said, babe, you know, there were... I would probably, what I want to bring home is not just the words that I learned. It's more like something I'd have to put in a bottle and bring home to you. That's literally what I said. I'd have to put this in a bottle and bring it home to you. It was an atmosphere. It was an experience of of what you could sense coming from people's lives. And so these seven shared or shaping virtues, here's what they are in Sovereign Grace. They are humility, gratitude, Joy, servanthood, generosity, godliness, and the one we're going to look at today, encouragement. And this is what I experienced, and just being amongst people, there, were, there was a, there was a humility in the room and in the conversations all the time. Not this self-bragging, self-promoting. I don't know most of you guys have never been to church conferences. Sometimes it can be very strange things to be at as people talk about their church versus somebody else's church and how well they're doing. And It almost feels like a brag fest sometimes. But the humility that was there, the joy that was there, the gratitude that was featured in these settings. And, and if you follow along with, with what Reformed theology teaches through the scriptures... You, you have reasons for all those things. There's nothing more humbling than recognizing the greatness of God and the smallness of man. And that should feature who we are and inform who we are as well. Ray Ortland wrote a book a few years ago called The Gospel. It's about the community of God's people. He said, The ministry of the gospel in our churches involves more than doctrinal argumentation. The work of the gospel is subtle like the work of a fragrance. It is not just brute facts landing hard on someone's mind, but an aroma wafting into a heart. And this light contact proves to be life or death. Such is the astonishing power of the gospel of God. And there's something about us being together that there's an aroma that just kind of wafts its way subtly, softly into our hearts, but it has a profound effect. So gospel power and the power of the word of God and the presence of God among us, it's not just preaching messages that confront and bash into bad ideas that are in this world, although it is that. There's something about being in this place that the aroma of Christ has this subtle effect on each one of us. To awaken things in us. And today I want to talk about encouragement being what you smell when you walk in this place, when you're in your small groups, when you have gatherings. There's a smell of encouragement. You know, I've borrowed my introduction moment here from Captain Obvious. The need for encouragement exists because discouragement exists. Right, the need for us to be encouraged as individuals walking in the purpose of God is because discouragement exists in our lives. Right? The word for encourage its an interesting etymology. If you go back and look at it, it's these two words, in and courage. And it means to cause, to be, to put something in. That first little piece of that word, it means to, to put something in. In something else. And then that word courage, it comes from the word for heart. It's a frame of mind. It's a quality of mind, which I love this phrase enables one to meet danger and trouble without fear. So when we encourage, we are putting in others courage, to face life and to face moments without fear. That's what it means to encourage. So don't just have that word floating around. Think of it as when you interact with somebody in an encouraging way, you are putting courage into their life for whatever it is that they're facing. And of course, discourage is, is the opposite of that. To discourage means to deprive of or cause to lose courage for courage in life to be dislodged by the things that you and I interact with. And, and there are going to be moments. And we're going to see today from these battlefields in the Old Testament to the battlefields in the New Testament to the battlefields right here on the North Shore. You guys face life. I face life. We all face life where things dislodge courage. So nobody in the room here needs to get some macho attitude that, that well, not me. I, I never face discouragement. If your heart is ticking... You're facing discouragement. In this world, you are going to face moments where your courage just goes out the window and you will need encouragement. So I want to bring three insights from an Old Testament passage and then I'm going to pull a New Testament passage into the same setting. Those three thoughts will be one, we need help with courage because there are forces arrayed against us. Second, courage comes from the sovereign grace of God in his covenant love, and it comes from others. And third, why are there discouraging enemies in our lands? We'll learn to teach us to depend on God's grace. So let's find some courage in this story from the the Old Testament passage here I have before you. It's 2 Samuel chapter 10. If you know where this is in the history of Israel, this is during King David's reign. King David's reign was filled with a lot of fights, a lot of battles. He was establishing the kingdom of God in Israel. He was preparing for the day that the temple was going to be built, where God's presence was going to dwell there in Jerusalem. But there were wars to fight, and David fought many of them. And here's an example in 2 Samuel 10, verse 8. It says, And the Ammonites came out and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and of Rehob and the men of Tob and Makah were by themselves in the open country. When Joab saw that the battle was set against him, both in front and in the rear, remember Joab is, is King David's main general in his army. When he saw this, he chose some of the best men of Israel and he arrayed them against the Syrians. The rest of his men, he put in charge of Abshay, his brother, and he arrayed them against the Ammonites. And he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage. And let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. Let me just pray for us for a moment. Lord, we are in need of courage because courage gets dislodged by the events of life by trends and things that have gone on for too long, by facing moments where we feel like we're just outnumbered and it's, it's not going to go well and our imagination takes over. God, by real events that have real weight to them, that aren't easily solved. And Lord, that's true here for some who have gathered here this morning. Lord, that you knew they would be here. You knew the timing of their life and they would need a word about God. Having courage, Lord, there's some folks this morning here facing a need for courage. Lord, I think about Ed and Lori and just a new moment that's come to their lives where courage is needed in the days ahead. And Lord, I know many of us are concerned for them, but there's others here as well, Lord. Lord, the body of Christ is in a moment where it needs courage to face what you have called us to be and to do in a day that seems to be unraveling and becoming more difficult and evil every day, every day, Lord. Lord, I know Christ Community Church, and Lord, in some ways my own church back across the lake, where we are in a season where we need courage, Lord. Uh, Lord, we are going to be tempted to face the moments of our lives as though there aren't adequate resources, But, Lord, you have a means of bringing courage to our lives. So, Lord, help us today. Bring courage and infuse it into our souls, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me touch on this first thought. We need help with courage because there are forces arrayed against us. When you stare into this story there are a group called Ammonites and a group called Syrians, and they are drawn up in battle array against God's people. Right? Great Old Testament story, real setting where real weapons and real noise happens as soldiers come together. You know, the Bible is not trying to close its eyes to spiritual realities when it describes physical ones, though. Quite often it's trying to tap into kingdom principles that are true, not just because there's swords on the field, but because there's real opponents in our lives. And don't lose sight of that, right? Here's a kingdom principle that's in this story. I put in your notes this heading. Dwelling in the promises of God included enemies and battles. Dwelling in the promises of God, it included for them and it includes for us, enemies and battles. Before we get to King David, you back up from him and and King Saul had battles to fight with enemies that were in the same land. And before him, the judges fought battles one after another against enemies in the same land. And, And Joshua led them into the promised land. And they fought battles against those who were, in the land. So whether they found themselves against Jebusites and Hittites and Canaanites and all those who were in the land, there were battles to be fought in order to enter into whatever it is that God had for them. And what a massive mistake I think we're prone to make in our culture, in our times. One, because we're we're Americans and life quite honestly has been rather easy for us. We haven't had to fight many wars in our lifetimes. We've had economic times that have little blips in them where it gets hard for a moment, but then it gets really easy. Things return, our investments are in great shape, et cetera, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, then, and then we live in a land that's distorted the gospel into something that's more of a prosperity message that makes it sound as though if you just get the formula right, everything about your life is supposed to just turn out well. I mean, you're supposed to have heaven on earth. And quite honestly, that's not how the Bible depicts things you know we start thinking that if things aren't easy god's not with us we must be doing something wrong why is it that way for that person as as though hard is not supposed to be part of our experience as though difficulty and wars to fight and attacks from things aren't supposed to be a part of our lives But yet that was always part of God's bringing us into fullness of things that he had created. So if your life feels that way, you didn't get a bad version of Christianity. You're living in the purpose of God and the battles you're fighting are part of that purpose. Let me just take you back to one earlier passage before these guys were fully in the land where David is now fighting these battles. Numbers 13 gives us a preview of coming into the land, right? Numbers tells the story of they're about to go into the promised land which means they're about to stand in the place where God had promised to them. But listen to the description of this land that the spies went in and gave when they were first entering. Numbers 13, verse 25. It says, At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land and they told him we came to the land to which you sent us it flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit and they brought some back however always look out for the howevers with god <laughs> however the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. The Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. However, and so here you have a people who God has led them to this place. They are not in the wrong place. They lift up their eyes and there's so much to see there that causes them great concern. Now, they also saw the promises of God. They saw a land flowing with milk and honey. They brought back big branches full of abundant fruit that was waiting for them in this new land. So so they saw good, but they saw trouble as well. They saw difficulty as well. Listen. Listen. In God's purpose, this is not heaven. This is earth. In God's purpose on earth, there's something being worked out here that's different than what we're going to get in heaven. In this land, there are howevers. How many of you guys have been married long enough to discover there's a however in your marriage? Right, You go through marriage counseling, you date for a few years or however long, and... Oh, Everything's beautiful, wonderful, incredibly exciting, and we're gonna have life together, we're gonna do family, etc. And then somewhere along your married life, however shows up. Or with your family. Right, it's exciting to to have children and to raise them and do life together. How many guys have had a however show up in your kids' lives? Didn't exactly turn out the way you thought. It was harder. There was some difficulty. In their life, Maybe, maybe that went from a, a physical difficulty to maybe a different kind of difficulty, maybe a relational difficulty. So, I mean, th- there would be some folks here in the room, a, a, a gathering this big, where there's just fracture and brokenness in families. There's a big however there. Maybe you're a younger person, you stare into your parents' lives, and there's a however there. It's just things aren't in a good place. And then you come into the church, right? It's this promised land. This thing that God created It's called the church. It's this wonderful place where there's friendship and there's family and there's encouragement and there's relationship and there's a preaching of God's word. And how many of you have discovered there's some howevers in the church? There's some difficulties that come when you put fallen people in a room together and say, hey, go do relationship with each other and build the kingdom. Uh, But that's God's promises, right? Isn't it supposed to go right? Because it's God's promises. It's supposed to be easy. God made this promise. The church is his idea. Well, promised land was his idea too. And he sold it to them with a brochure. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. There's all this stuff in the land. Go in and enjoy. However, there's other stuff here that when you get around it, it's going to dislodge your courage. It's going to have words in it like strong fortified cities that are very large circumstances that look immovable, that are big, that you thought you had the resources to take on a city that was about this big, but oh, you just walked into a city that was this big and now you're fully convinced. We can't do this. They're strong. There's people in the land. There is legendary people in the land. Why is it that we all, when we get into a conflict with somebody else, we we start off by describing that other person as, well, you don't know my husband. You don't understand. It's like, huh, what are they, the descendants of Anak? Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're giants. I mean, this guy is immovable. And this is how we feel as we stare into these moments This is where courage goes out the window. When you start using these words, your courage is beginning to evaporate. But what's interesting is, it's not as though you shouldn't use those words. Something else needs to happen for us to be encouraged. Verse 30 says, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, right? That's what dislodge courage sounds like now. I can't do this. I don't have it to be able to fix this or to take another step to last another moment. I can't. For they are stronger than we are. Yes, they are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report. Just remember your temptation. When discouragement settles in, you're going to be tempted to go viral with it. You're going to want to tell other people. You're going to want to convince them as well. These guys became evangelists for why whatever God just promised us, it can't happen. Here's why. So don't put that past any of us, right? We get discouraged and we want to now convince everybody else to be that way as well. They came out speaking the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we sat, saw in it are of great height. We saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, the son of the Nephilim, uh, who came from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. So we seem to them as well. All right, can you catch this moment? Because this could be true in our lives as well. They are, they are at the doorstep of the promises of God. This is, this is where they've been. They've, they've been on pause for 40 years wandering in the wilderness. God brings them to the doorstep of his promises. They're about to engage the promises of God and they have a crisis of courage on their hands. Those will be moments for Megadu a lot of us. You, you can be right there about to take the next step into the very things that God has purposed for you, and you can have a courage crisis and it goes out the window. And it probably is for reasons similar to these guys. You know, our story from King David is we're facing a battle, courage is going to be needed, and the moment is simply this we're outnumbered and we're surrounded. So, whatever that translates into your life and my life we 're outnumbered you know usually that means financially we can 't do this we don 't have the resources to do it, and we 're surrounded we don 't see any way out it 's not an obvious way for us to get out of the pressure that 's sitting on us right now well that 's where those guys find themselves needing courage. secondly, insight on. Courage comes, where does courage come from? Courage comes from the sovereign grace of God in his covenant love and from others. All right, so when you stand in Numbers, Numbers chapter 14, and they're about to enter the promised land. Joshua and Caleb see something else besides giant cities, giant people, and we don't have enough. They, they saw something about God in that moment. They said, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. They didn't have to make an argument. No, no, you guys, he had a bad vantage point. The people are much smaller than you thought. Look, most of the cities are tiny. We're going to overrun them in no time. There's just a couple of them that are going to be tough. That's not their angle. Their angle of argument is, if the Lord delights in us, he will do this if the Lord delights in us? And that's the question then, isn't it? Does he? Does he delight in you? I mean, you know your resume better than anybody. You know all the ways that you don't deserve for a pure, perfect, holy God to delight in you in moments where maybe you've been full of doubt. Maybe you've gone sideways for some reason in your life why will they overcome these things? Where can courage come from in a moment where you definitely are outnumbered and outgunned? Well, if he delights in us, well, why would he delight in us? Well, if you read carefully, how does the nation of Israel get favored status with God? because they behaved better than all the other nations, because they were bigger and more impressive than the other nations, because they had it together in a way that God said, hey, you're my number one draft pick of all the nations in the world. I'm choosing you because you guys are head and shoulders above everybody else. Is that how the nation of Israel got favored status? You read Deuteronomy chapter 8, you'll have an interesting display of why God chose the nation of Israel. And God goes out of his way to say, I did not choose you because you were bigger than other nations or more mightier than other nations. I set my love on you because I love you. That's what it says. And I made a promise to your fathers that I'm fulfilling. So why does God have this delight in the nation of Israel? Because there was something in God that he chose to set his love on Israel. It is not derived from Israel. God was not overwhelmed by Israel. He was not incredibly impressed with Israel. They didn't stand something up that made the perfect righteous God go, that catches my attention. You're all of the guys. This is where the sovereign purpose of God comes from. There is a God in this universe who runs everything who has reasons within himself to set his love on whosoever he chooses. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. Not because you have done something that finally inspired me, but because there's something in me that I am determined, that I am going to express my mercy and my love towards those, whether they deserve it or not. That's the favor that they knew they had. If we go in, God, if God delights in us, well, he does. And then in 2 Samuel, you get Joab aware of the same factor. He says, be of good courage. Let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. Let us go fight. But at the end of the day, may the Lord do what seems good to him. Well, what seems good to a sovereign God who chooses to do something on our behalf? Well, his purpose for us, that's what seems good for him. And, and what's interesting is God chose to make sure that mercy would not depart from our lives. You know, if you study carefully the, the covenant God makes, right, the, the Bible is a, is a story of covenants. It is God making agreements with men. And there's, this, there's a covenant of faith that God makes in the Old Testament that gets fully expressed in this covenant that happens at the cross. And if you're careful and you watch, what were the mechanics of the covenant that got made at the cross? Well, here's what it wasn't. It wasn't the God of all time and creation making a deal with you and I individually. It was the God of all creation making a covenant with his son. That's what happened at the cross. Now, the thing that benefits you and me is God chose to put us in his son and make that deal with his son. God did not make a deal with you and I individually. God made a deal with his son. Now, What does does that help me in my moment of courage? Well, it helps me because in my moment to believe God might not be for me right now because I'm having a bad day. I've lived a bad life recently. I've had some struggles. I've stumbled and I've done something perhaps sinful. Could God be for me? Well, if your understanding of what happened at the cross is God the Father made a deal with you, then yeah, that makes sense. But if God the Father made a deal with His Son, then it's not about what you're doing and haven't done. It's about what He did on my behalf. My confidence is that the favor of God doesn't evaporate based on human performance. I get to accept and receive something that I was included in by His doing. By His doing, the Bible says, you are in Christ. By His doing, not by your doing or my doing, but by His doing. So when I stand in these moments where courage could evaporate and I'm Joab or I'm standing and facing the promised land that God has invited us into, in that moment, I am probably in a place where I'm in over my head. This is harder than I thought. The outcome is not guaranteed and sure. There's a moment for me for doubt. And courage is being tapped into by these things. But yet I'm aware of something there is a sovereign God who has made covenant with his son and included me in it. I can expect on Monday, he'll still be on board with me. In a month from now, he will still be on board with me. Not because I'm standing him up and getting him to be motivated toward me. Although I I certainly want to do that in my heart, but that's not why he does it. He does it for the sake of his son. But notice where else courage comes from in this passage. Courage comes from a sovereign God, who instills us with his favor. But it also comes from others. Right, when Joab saw that the battle was set against him, both in front and in the rear, he chose some men, he sent them against the Syrians, and the rest he gave to his brother, and he arrayed them against the Ammonites, verse 11, and he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you, you shall help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage. Let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God and may the Lord do what seems good to him. Where does courage come from for this mighty man named Joab? Well, it comes from his awareness that the sovereign God is going to do what pleases him. But that doesn't mean he's not receiving it from others as well. Abshe, if they overtake me, if these forces that are arrayed against me overtake me, you come help me. And if the ones arrayed against you, they overtake you, which immediately tells you you could get overtaken by something. You know, sometimes we grab scriptures like, no temptation is overtaking you, except that would just come in the man, God's going to provide a means of escape, etc. That means of escape may be enduring it, it may be going through it, it may mean setbacks, it may mean you're going to go through a period of difficulty, and you're going to need some courage in that moment. And where's it going to come from? Well, it comes from the sovereign God comes from one another it comes from this setting it comes from noticing that somebody around you has had their courage evaporate on them and the next step for them seems impossible and they're so afraid of taking it and you might be the one who needs to come into that moment and bring some kind of courage now listen encouragement is this this thing it just kind of feels like it just kind of happens uh, in Courage, infuse courage. You and I have a role with one another to bring courage into somebody else's life, to inject an element of courage into their life. And God fully intends that we would be doing that for one another. I find it interesting here that Joab is the creator of this and he's inviting people to come help him. If you read much about Joab, I'm not sure Joab almost ever loses. Joab is this mighty warrior, this, this guy who, you know, he's, he's a hero in this story, but he's kind of a jerk in some other places. And so but he's a guy who just gets it done. He is this mighty fortress of a man. He, he is the Michael Jordan of the basketball league, right? This, when you bring, bring up Joab, you're kind of like, hey, instant respect. That guy plays at a different level. He never loses. And he turns around and says, if I get overtaken, you come help me can I just tell you this? They're they're seated in this room and in your life, they're going to be Joabs in your life. And your impression of them is they never need help. You think they've got it all together. They always rise to the occasion. They're always serving somebody else's need that they seem to just put it together and go on to the next thing. And so your impression is that they're just this undefeated force in life. And you can be tempted to believe you don't ever need to encourage them. Whoever those guys are right now that are coming to mind, they will need courage as well. Because there are going to be moments when their courage begins to evaporate. And I'm kind of, I've got some guys back home that, you know, we've, you know, many of you guys know a dear friend and, couple that was just a powerful force in our lives, Bill and Nancy Treby. Bill was a Joab. I was never with Bill that he gave you the impression that he needed anything. He was always a force. He was always bringing something to a meeting. He was always somebody that was going to spearhead something or take on another responsibility or step into another need that somebody else had. And quite honestly, he got to the last year and a half or two of his life, and he needed encouragement. And can I just tell you, I give myself the worst of grades in that moment. It's like, I didn't know how to encourage him. I didn't know how to come alongside the Joabs because they kind of don't give you a reason to do it all their life, right? So some of you guys who have known forever, you're aging, you're getting to a place where life 's going to be different life 's going to be different for some of your folks who have been joabs in this church, and they they need you to pay attention to the fact that they 're calling for help and then you 're not used to that you 've got a parent in your life you 've got an influential spiritual leader in your life, and you thought they never needed any help they need help they need encouragement. this ministry has to catch us and we need to transfer it to others i 'll give you this third reason. Why are there discouraging enemies in our lands? Well, they're there to teach us to depend on God's grace. In Judges chapter 2, verse 23, there's an explanation for why God sovereignly left enemies that would have to be fought in the land. God, why'd you do that? Judges 2, verse 23 says this. So the Lord left those nations, the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Now these are the nations that the Lord left. Why? To test Israel by them. Listen, when you see tests in the Bible, it seldom means pass, fail. You know, let's take a test. Hey, what kind of grade did you get on the test? I, well, did you pass or did you fail? God, God's not looking for a pass, fail, because remember, God formed a relationship with a nation that had already failed. Right? That's the story of humanity. We've all failed and fallen short of the glory of God. So we pass by the mercy of God. So it's not that kind of test. It's more like a refining test. That word in scripture, test, is often about separating one thing from another. It's God turning up heat and letting that which is not pure get separated from that which is. And so God tests things in that way in scripture. He says, now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. Why why are there in the promised land that God has given, and you and I are living in the promises of God, why are there enemies in your land? Why do they pop up with weapons and come after you? And fight and threaten you and cause courage to leave the room on you. Why are they there? They are strategically there, they are not accidentally there. They are there by the sovereign purposes of God, that God is doing something through these enemies, these hostilities, these difficulties that is vital to your faith and my faith. You know what's true about the faith that God has given us? When you read about faith in the New Testament, faith is on this, this pilgrimage with us all the way to the end, right? It, it's not, faith is not like a, a, a box we checked, like we, we registered with heaven. So, hey, are you going to heaven? Well, yes, I'm registered. I mean, that's not how the Bible presents it. The Bible presents that you and I are connected to God's eternal purposes by faith. So I'm connected years ago from 1979. I began a connection with God by faith. I was connected to the grace of God, but I don't get to stand today and say, oh yeah, well, you see, I, I registered in 1979. I'm good. No, no, no. The question is, is your faith alive today? That's a real question. And will it be alive tomorrow? And will it connect me to the grace of God when I stand at the very last breath of my life? Do not get the impression that that you are right with God because you checked a box a bunch of years ago. And in heaven, the paperwork says I'm cool. No, right now, the God of the universe looks into our faith. Is that faith in him right now? You know, there's a God who cares about whether that's true or not. And he intends to work in our lives in such a way that my faith needs to keep on reaching out to him every day, every day, every day. And Peter described in 1 Peter this, this impact of this kind of interaction that God has with us that we are grieved by various trials if necessary, if necessary. We have afflictions and we fight wars if necessary that our faith may be tried being more precious than goals, though it is tested by fire, though it is tested by fire. Listen, the faith that God has given us, it needs a good fight. And there are times in which that's exactly what you're experiencing. You are in the fight by faith in your life by God's design. So listen, I'm going to jettison the second half of the message here. Um, There's some really cool stuff. You can go read the notes on your own. Uh, But I want to bring us to a place and maybe Katie, you could come back up here. I want us to bring us to a place where if we have entered a season and you are in a place in your own life where you you stare into the promises of God, whatever they are, wherever you are, single person staring into the promise that, that maybe God's got a future for me